0: A reading from the 8th chapter of 1 Kings, beginning at the 22nd verse. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and steadfast love with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays towards this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place And do according to all that the foreigner calls to you, so that all peoples on the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and so that they may know your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God.
1: Where does God live? At Mount Sinai, God gave Moses very specific instructions concerning the building of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle, a tent in which the Ark would dwell, and God and the Ark would be movable. They and God, with them, traveled. So the tabernacle and the Ark all traveled with the people through the wilderness all the way to the promised land. God's home moved as people moved, and then David became king. David saw a disparity and wanted to fix it. We read, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. But it was not David who built the temple. It was his son Solomon. Solomon built the temple, a house for God, a house for the ark of the covenant. Our reading this morning, as I mentioned in the Time for Children, is part of a very, very long prayer of dedication that Solomon offers when the temple is finally finished. But where does God live? It's an important question. Solomon had clear ideas about the answer. Solomon thought God lived in, on, within the Ark of the Covenant and in heaven. Solomon built a temple for the ark so that God could live in a glorious house. That temple, however, was known as Solomon's Temple. The naming should be a clue about where God lives, but I'm already tipping my hat. Solomon built God a house while also building himself a house. Palace is a better word. In the middle of the telling of the construction of the temple, 1st King pauses. tell us about the construction of Solomon's palace. It's interesting to note that Solomon took seven years to finish the temple in Jerusalem, and he spent 13 years on his own house, nearly twice as long as he spent on the temple. This seems to indicate something about his priorities. Whatever you're assuming about them, they're right. Where does God Today is Juneteenth. The first celebration of Juneteenth began at the same courthouse in Galveston, Texas, on the same day, where a year before, enslaved people in Texas learned that the war was over and they were now free. This news came a full two and a half years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Our state has much for which to atone for that first celebration of Juneteenth, the Emancipation Proclamation was read out loud, and then those gathered processed to the Methodist Episcopal South AME Church for a public prayer meeting. History did not record the prayers for that gathering. Eric Washington, in an article entitled Juneteenth Was an Answer to Centuries of Prayer, African Americans asked the Lord for liberation for years, they still do. In that article he notes, public prayer meetings by African Americans were rare during slavery. Though independent African American churches in the South existed during the antebellum period, the majority of enslaved African Americans worshiped alongside the people who enslaved them. Slave owners on plantations and farms presided over church services that served their own oppressive purposes. While some enslaved people preached, their sermons sounded as degrading as those of white ministers. Obey your masters, don't steal food, and so on. Enslaved African Americans were keenly aware that this type of preaching was a sham a mechanism to attempt to keep them docile and complacent in their positions as enslaved persons. Washington continues. Enslaved African-Americans, on the other hand, practice their faith in organized secret meetings. At these invisible institutions, as renowned African-American religious historian Albert J. Ratu later called them, Enslaved communities could sing their own songs, preach their own sermons, and pray their own prayers. These meetings were continual acts of resistance against slaveholders' power and slaveholders' belief that they had to use Christianity to make slaves obedient. These meetings also signified the links that enslaved people went to to care for their own souls and the souls of fellow yoked persons. secret worship meetings, invisible institutions. Not unlike the early followers of Jesus who called themselves followers of the way, they would draw fish in the sand as a secret code among other followers so that they could communicate where they would meet in hiding for worship. Where does God live? Not in a house built for the builder's glory. Not in holy religion. Not with any persecuting oppressive empire. <clears throat> Solomon got a lot wrong. If you're ever bored and you want to read the whole dedication, you'll find a lot of quid pro quo theology. A lot of, I built you this temple, God, and now you're going to make me a great king and take care of all of us. We've been having these droughts and famines and you need to stop that now that i've made you this nice house now we know this is not how relationship with god works however tempting it sometimes is to believe that it just might work that way how many of us in our hardest moments have bargained with god i can certainly relate and it's bad theology solomon does get few things right, and one of the verses that our reading left out, verse 27, we find a significant contrast to much of what Solomon has been praying. This contrast also seems to be just right. Solomon says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. No house No temple, no sanctuary, no matter how grand can contain God. Not even the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is missing and has been since the destruction of the Second Temple. In rabbinic literature, the final location of the Ark is disputed. Some rabbis hold that it must have been carried off to Babylon, while others hold that it must have been hidden on the Temple Mount. Rabbi Shlomo Yatsky Suggests The entire people will be so imbued with the spirit of sanctity that God's presence will rest upon them collectively, as if the congregation itself was the Ark of the Covenant. I like that idea. Where does God live? Surely God makes a home in the world. And all of us and everything, God's presence rests upon us, and we are the Ark of the Covenant. All of us. Surely, God lived in those secret meetings of the early followers of Jesus as they hid from the persecuting Roman Empire. Surely, God lived in those secret meetings of the enslaved people who knew knew that slaveholder religion was not the way of God. They knew that God wants freedom. The Apostle Paul reminds us, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul also writes, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Where does God live? Here not of this building, in us, the ark of the covenant that we create with our community, with our love. God lives in other communities, too, in every place that love is found. God makes homeless home with our neighbors who sleep on the streets with immigrants and refugees. God lives with those fighting for freedom, seeking to be anti-racist, working daily, to be open-minded and open-hearted, to seek out bias and bigotry, racism and exploitation, and then root them out. God lives within and beyond any walls. God lives in freedom and in compassion and in justice and peace and welcome. God lives in love. In just a moment, we'll sing a communion hymn. And before that, the deacons and I will recess the elements of communion outside. After the hymn, you're welcome to go out to either side of this church building where God is dwelling and to have wine, water, and bread. You are welcome. Just you. You are already holy. God is already in you. This meal is special, and so are you, and you are all welcome to partake. On the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and shared it with everyone gathered and said, This is part of who I am, and I'm sharing it with you. And in the same way, he took the cup, blessed it shared it with everyone around the table and said, take this and drink it. This is the covenant of my love, and it's for everyone. So this day, as you take bread and
0: wine and water, remember that you are a home for God. Remember and offer your
1: own prayer of dedication, a prayer that you will offer not just with words, but with how you live own. Uh-huh.